Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. I'm going to talk a little bit about loneliness this morning. Loneliness hurts. Loneliness hurts in a profound way that cuts to our very core. And I'm sure we've all felt the sting of loneliness at one time or another, or maybe you're in that season of loneliness right now. The Christian teenager who finds herself isolated at school because she refuses to give in to peer pressure and she can't find any Christian friends who share the same values as her. Or the young mother who's exhausted and in desperate need of some connection because she's been spending all of her hours just pouring into her children. Or the single guy who constantly compares his lot in life to his married friends on Facebook who uh, put their, their little perfect, seemingly perfect marriages and lives in front of him. Or what about the person who endlessly scrolls on their phone, being bombarded with stories and pictures that create a false sense of urgency or FOMO, fear of missing out? Or the Christian wife who follows Jesus despite her atheist husband's hatred for Christianity? The man who's struggling to fill the void that was left when his wife died? And he experiences that aching sense of isolation every night when he has a meal by himself and when he goes to bed by himself. Or that aging woman battling chronic health issues that limit her mobility and her chance to engage with others face to face. Loneliness hurts. See, so serious is the spread of loneliness, that back in 2017, the Surgeon General uh, called it an epidemic, saying that America was experiencing a plague of loneliness. Now, at that time, it was estimated that about 40% of the population identified as being lonely, 40%. Now, a more recent survey in the six years since then, that 40% has now climbed up to 58%. 58% of Americans report being lonely. See, so serious are the effects of loneliness that being considered lonely is found to shorten your life, equivalent to uh, the same way smoking 15 cigarettes a day would shorten your life. Loneliness hurts. Why? Why does it hurt so much? Whereas we're going to see in God's Word today, we were not made to walk alone. We're not created, designed to walk in isolation. Loneliness hurts so much because we weren't created to be 
lonely. We weren't created to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Isolation goes against the very fabric of our nature. So, of course, loneliness stings. But God didn't create us to walk through life alone. We were not made to walk alone. So if you find yourself today in a season of loneliness, I want you to take heart knowing, one, you're not alone as much as it may feel like you're alone, and two, you're not alone in experiencing loneliness. So many others have. As we come to our final passage in the book of 2 Timothy this morning, we find in there the final recorded words of the Apostle Paul, who is himself isolated. He's completely cut off from most of his friends and family. So you have this aging and and scarred missionary sitting in a cold, dark, underground dungeon in Rome. Winter is on its way. It's bringing in colder days, shorter days, darker days. But in many regards, Paul's already in a winter season of his life because he knows death is looming. Death is right around the next corner for him. It's not a matter of whether or not Paul's going to get executed this time. It's simply a matter of when. So as Paul pens his final words to Timothy, he gives us a model for combating loneliness, a model that's built around four essentials. So let's open our passage, and then we'll begin to explore what these four essentials are in our fight against loneliness. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 22 this morning. So starting in verse 9, this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So the picture that we're getting here is that As Paul is approaching his final days, he's surveying his life. He's surveying his ministry. He's thinking back on all the people that he crossed paths with, all the people that he got to know and serve and love, and some for good, some for uh, the bad. And he can't help but come to terms with the fact that most of these people are no longer with him. They're gone. They're, they're, They're in doing their own thing or they abandoned him. So he begins to feel the deep, ache of loneliness, which is why he pours out his heart to Timothy saying, Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. Paul never felt more abandoned and alone than he did right now. See, as persecution against the Christians increased, fewer and fewer people wanted to associate with Paul. Former friends deserted him. You see Demas here. Demas used to be one of Paul's friends, one of his colleagues. He helped to spread the gospel and to support the early church. And he was a respected member of the early Christian community. But somewhere along the line, he deserted Paul. Maybe he feared guilt by association. Maybe he tired of the cost of standing by this aging apostle who refuses to change his convictions, regardless of his captivity. Or maybe he just didn't want to share in Paul's fate. After all, Demas' love for the things of the world was greater than his love for the things of God. So this was a source of deep pain for Paul. Being abandoned in a time of need is painful for any one of us. Now, it wasn't just abandonment, though, that led to Paul's loneliness. 
See, it's also the simple fact that many of his friends were off tending to their own ministries, their own responsibilities. He mentions Crescens and Titus. They were quite a distance away from Paul in Rome, and they were uh, leading their churches there, doing their own thing, so they weren't able to visit. But as much as Paul was experiencing loneliness, he wasn't entirely alone. See, all others had moved on, but Luke remained. Luke remained by Paul's side. He was the one who was willing to stay when the rest abandoned him. Luke, uh, if you don't know this, Luke and Paul had a really, really long history. Uh, Dr. Luke, he was Paul's physician. Um, They were partners in ministry. They shared the joys and the trials of spreading the gospel throughout the entire uh, known world at the time. And their combined writings, both uh, Paul and Luke, they comprise a huge chunk of the New Testament. And now Luke proves again that he's the kind of faithful friend that Paul could count on to stick with him in hard times. Not just Luke, though, because look what else Paul says. Paul tells Timothy to get Mark and bring him when he visits Rome. Now, if you uh, picked up at all, if you know the story from uh, the book of Acts, this is quite a beautiful thing that Paul's requesting here, because years before this, Paul and Mark had a, a serious falling out that severed their relationship. They went their separate ways. And when you kind of get to that passage in Acts, you're like, oh, there goes that. They're never going to get together again. And yet somewhere along the line, God brought reconciliation to their broken relationship. So now Paul recognizes Mark or John Mark um, as a good friend, as a trusted leader. So imagine when Timothy honors Paul's request. There is Paul and Luke hanging out in Rome, and then Timothy's on his way and picks up Mark. Can you imagine the power that would have been in that Roman prison? Right? The Apostle Paul, the Gospel writers, Mark and Luke, and then the faithful Timothy. See, these are the kinds of tough people that you want around you in tough times. Which brings us to our first essential in fighting loneliness. Our first essential in fighting loneliness is to find people who stick with you in the hard times. Find people who stick with you in the hard times. In your fight against loneliness, or as you're trying to navigate a winter season of life, you need brothers and sisters in Christ who are committed to you, who will stand by you. Paul's situation here teaches us of the value of these deep and meaningful relationships. Our bodies are wired for human connection. That's the way God designed it. Real human connection, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, flesh-to-flesh, not digital community, not virtual relationships, not social media friendships. See, we have more ways to connect than we ever did before. The average person, they say, has uh, over 600 friends and followers combined on their social media accounts. Our smartphones give us instant access to people around the globe. FaceTime allows us to see loved ones anytime, anywhere. Video games connect us to other gamers in the world. But for all of this technology, we've never been more distant and isolated. Why? Because these are nothing but cheap imitations of the real thing. Our digital world traps us in an illusion of relationships, an illusion that actually lacks true meaning and depth. If they were the real thing, we wouldn't be seeing increasingly high levels of loneliness and depression. God created us for community, knowing that we need each other, especially in hard times. Christian community provides a belonging that 
nothing in this world can offer. When we open our hearts and our lives to each other, we're we're allowing and, and glimpsing the unconditional love that Jesus modeled for us. When we encourage one another, we're kindling each other's courage to keep fighting even when we feel like giving up. When we choose to say yes to being vulnerable with another, we gain fellow pilgrims to help bear our burdens on this journey of life. We were not made to walk alone. But here's the catch, because there is a catch. Paul's life teaches us that there's a catch. The catch is this. Christian community is costly. Christian community is costly. First, it costs time and effort. Building a community involves forming deep, meaningful relationships. This doesn't happen overnight. This takes time. It takes effort. It takes emotional investment. So it's not just about sharing common interests. It's about sharing life and sharing victories and struggles and ministry and the faith with another. So second, it's also costly because it involves risk. It's very risky. When you allow people to get close to you, there's a chance that they're going to hurt you. There's a chance that they're going to abandon you. Like Paul's experience, living transparently in front of others can sometimes lead to disappointment. It can sometimes lead to discouragement or opposition, maybe even abandonment. And third, community is costly because it demands selflessness. That might be the hardest one for us. It demands selflessness. Just like Paul's ministry, being part of a Christian community means that you're going to have to put others' needs ahead of your own. Considering what's best for the other before you think about yourself, it means truly loving each other and serving each other and truly desiring God's best for one another. It means forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So the point is this. Yes, community is costly. Yes, it's uh, very costly. But these costs are necessary in forming the kinds of bonds that believers in the church ought to share. So if you're one who just kind of comes on Sundays and interacts politely without ever um, investing intentionally in a relationship, take the next step to draw closer to another, whatever that might be for you. Move beyond the the Sunday morning superficial politeness and move toward authentic relationships. Do that by joining a group or, or a class or entering into a mentoring relationship. Because despite the costs, despite the risks, having people who stick with you in hard times is going to be a source of immense joy and immense growth and immense hope. Like Paul discovered, we all need a Timothy, we all need a Mark, we all need a Luke, especially in seasons of loneliness. God designed it in such a way that he will provide the companionship that we crave through the body of Christ. That's the way it is. We were not made to walk alone. So find people who stick with you in the hard times. And then Paul goes on. Verse 13, he says to Timothy, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. So Paul, knowing winter is around the corner, asks Timothy to stop at Troas on his way to Rome so he could pick up his cloak, his heavy winter coat that he left there. But that's not all. Even more than that, Paul wanted his books and his parchments. See, the books were scrolls. These were likely uh, copies of parts 
of the Old Testament. And the parchments, though, were likely copies of some of his previous letters, or maybe even uh, copies of some of the um, New Testament books that were circulating by that time in the late 60s, in the first century. So think about this. Even though Paul is in prison, facing death, he's still so eager to read and study the Scriptures. He knows he can draw strength from its pages because in them he hears from God. And in Scripture, he's reminded of God's faithfulness. So here's a man in a dark, cramped prison cell awaiting execution. A man so familiar with dark and difficult seasons of life. He's been persecuted. He's been abandoned. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. All of this. And yet, in the midst of this isolating darkness, he has a source of light and comfort. The Bible. So you can picture Paul sitting in that prison cell, opening the Bible, opening the Old Testament, reading about the heroes of the faith who trusted in God. He opens to Genesis, and he, he reads about Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers, but never giving up hope because Joseph trusted in God's sovereignty, knowing that God was with him and would eventually deliver him. That resonated with Paul. Then you can imagine him flipping over to Exodus and reading some of the challenges that Moses faced as he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, just as God called Moses to a difficult task and then gave him the strength and wisdom to accomplish that task so Paul could relate to that. And then he flips open to Samuel, and then he reads about the shepherd boy David who was anointed by God to be the king of Israel. And just as God chose the underdog David to do great things, Paul would be reminded that God chose him, that God would be with him, and that God would help him to overcome whatever challenges he has. And then he opens to kings, and then he reads about the prophet Elijah who stood up for God against the wicked King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And though Elijah was persecuted for his faith, like Paul, he never gave up. And he opens to the book of Daniel and reads of the young man who was taken captive to Babylon, forced to go to Babylonian university, and then sent to serve in the king's court, yet never once, through all of that, never once compromised his faith. So loyal was Daniel to God that even when he was thrown in the lion's den for refusing to worship the king, God spared him, just as God spared Paul. See, Scripture was called. Paul's constant companion during this season of isolation and imprisonment. He knew that God had a plan for his life, and he trusted in God's faithfulness even in the face of death, which leads us to our second essential in, fight, in our fight against loneliness. Our second essential is to read Scripture to sustain you in the lonely times. Find people to stick with you in the hard times and read Scripture to sustain you in the lonely times. So when you're feeling isolated, when you're feeling lonely, when you're feeling just plain old depressed, turn to God's word. See, through scripture, God is going to remind you that you're not alone. You are not alone. You'll find the histories of people whose experiences are not that 
uh, unlike yours, very similar to so many of what we experience in life. You'll see that God was always with them, that God was always comforting them, even in their darkest moments, just as he's always with you, always comforting you, even in your darkest moments. You'll be reminded that even in those times of physical isolation, you're still a part of the body of Christ and you're still united to us by faith in Christ. So scripture shouts that you're not alone. Another aspect of this is through scripture, through God's word, God reminds you not only that you're not alone, but he reminds you that you're loved. See, in the Bible, you see how deeply loved you are with God's unchanging, unstoppable love. Right? How the infinite creator of the universe treasures you. How he cherishes you. How he loves you so perfectly and so personally. You're engraved on the palm of his hands, as Isaiah says. He lavished his love on you even when you did nothing to deserve it. As Paul says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And there's nothing in this world that can separate you from his love. Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Circumstances will shift, emotions will shift, but beneath it all, God remains steady. There's no amount of pain, no amount of rejection, no amount of loneliness that goes deeper than his love. So however lonely you might feel this morning, even behind the smile, however isolated you might feel from God right now, draw near to him. Draw near to him and receive from him his loving compassion that never ends and his loving mercies that are new every single morning. So through scripture, God shouts, you are not alone and you are deeply loved. So do an honest self-assessment here. When you're lonely, do you turn to God's word? Or is that not even on your radar in those moments? Begin forming those disciplines if you haven't already. Because we were not made to walk alone. Find people who stick with you in the hard times and read scripture to sustain you in the lonely times. And then Paul continues. He goes on in verses 14 to 16. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. See, Paul is warning Timothy here to watch out for uh, this, this dude, Alex. Alex was apparently an enemy of the gospel. He was probably a witness uh, against uh, Paul in the court hearing. He may have even fabricated certain charges to get Paul in prison in the first place. But Paul, ever the example for his young protege, younger protege, Timothy, he chooses not to retaliate, but to leave it to God, saying the Lord will repay him. And it wasn't just the haters of Christianity that caused pain for Paul. It was some of his closest friends, right? In his greatest hour of need, when there was an opportunity for his friends to come to the hearing and, and, and talk and speak up and advocate for Paul's innocence and advocate for Paul's character. They chose instead to abandon him. Even then, Paul reflects the forgiveness of Jesus by saying, may it not be charged against them. You know, he was thinking about Jesus on the cross when he wrote that. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, how could Paul 
demonstrate such hate-free, mercy-filled attitudes in the face of execution? And how does he keep from playing the victim card? Verse 17, this is how. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Now, in essence, what Paul is saying here is, yes, I was deserted. I was betrayed. Yes, Alex the coppersmith hurt me. He caused me pain. Yes, I went to court all alone that first time without anyone's support. But I really wasn't alone. The Lord was ever present with me. He gave me strength, so much strength that through me, God used the court hearing as another opportunity to preach the gospel. And I was spared. See, Paul knew that even... In the scariest of moments, when friends are most needed, he could always rely on Jesus. And in this, we then see the third essential in our fight against loneliness, and that's to embrace the Savior who strengthens you in scary times. Embrace the Savior who strengthens you in scary times. See, Jesus is the one constant through every single season of life. When we lean on Christ, our trials, our our scary times become opportunities to rest in his goodness and to receive his strength. So don't waste your trials by running away from them. Don't waste your trials by trying to cope with them every which way other than simple surrender. Jesus wants to use your tough times to deepen your dependence and your reliance on him as the only constant source of help. So embrace him. Embrace him by allowing him to do for you, in you, and through you what only he can do. And what's so incredible about this is when we embrace Jesus this way, he empowers us not just to survive, he empowers us to thrive. I mean, think about this. Paul is going through lots of setbacks here, right? He, he, he has a setback in prison. He's been in prison for a little while now. He has a setback in court when he was abandoned. But none of these setbacks were really setbacks at all. They were really uh, comebacks for the gospel. Think about it. The high officers were there, the court officials, the Roman guards, all of Paul's accusers, even the wicked king, uh, Emperor Nero himself, they were all present at Paul's trial. And what did they hear? Paul used it as an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. That's incredible. In God's economy, that's not a setback. So embrace the Savior who strengthens you in scary times, however you might define scary. If you've been abandoned by your family, embrace Jesus by leaning on promises like Psalm 27, verse 10, where it says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. If you've received a terrifying diagnosis with so much uncertainty, and so much disruption, embrace Jesus by casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you've been lonely since the death of your spouse, embrace Jesus as the one who gives you access to the Father, as Scripture says, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us all in our troubles. And if you're beaten down from life and just feel like you're giving up, you can't go on, Embrace Jesus by putting your hope in him alone. For those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. 
So whatever scary trial you're facing right now, turn to Jesus and find strength in him. Instead of measuring the size of the mountain that's in front of you, talk to the one who moved mountains. Instead of feeling like you have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, talk to the one who carries the universe in the palm of his hand. What was true in Paul's experience will be true in yours. Jesus will stand by you and give you strength. Embrace the Savior who gives you strength in scary times. Then Paul goes on. Verse 18, beautiful verse. He says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, although Paul was rescued from a certain death at his first hearing, at the first meeting, and many, many times before that, he's realistic here. Paul's realistic. He knows that the end is near, but he's not cowering in fear. He's not terrified here. He has a firm grip on the reality that God's ultimate rescue isn't one of a physical nature, but it's one of a spiritual nature. He knows that death is nothing but a doorway into eternal life. And he's confident of his rescue. He's confident of the existence and reality of heaven, and he's confident that God will get him there. So he looks death straight in the face, and he roars with confidence, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. May our lives echo that refrain. The Lord will rescue you from loneliness and lead you safe into his heavenly kingdom. Or the Lord will rescue you from crippling anxiety and bring you safe into his heavenly kingdom. Or the Lord will rescue you from your self-destructive habits, habits and bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. The Lord will rescue you from your pain of loss. He'll rescue you from that gloomy weight of depression and bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. See, I love this because this whole time, as Paul's kind of been looking out on the horizon of his imminent death, the two things that he focuses on as he looks out, two things fill his horizon, his love for Jesus and his love for people. So before he puts the pen down, he ends the final chapter of his life, the final chapter of his book, by greeting those who were closest to him. Verse 19, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Now, uh, Prisca is a short name, shortened for Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila, you remember them from the book of Acts. They were a ministry couple that Paul lived with and worked with when he was in Corinth, but now they're in Ephesus helping his protege, Timothy. Then you see Onesiphorus here. He was uh, the one in, uh, the, in 1 Timothy, Paul's faithful friend who visited him and encouraged him while he was imprisoned in Rome. And then Paul tells Timothy of the whereabouts of two of their other friends, Erastus and Trophimus. And then Paul sends some greetings to the people he's writing from some of the Christians in Rome. Though not much is known about those people listed toward the end there. Um, we know a little bit about one of them, Linus. Linus would be the one who would go on to succeed the Apostle Peter as the leader in the church in Rome. And then we come to the very final 
written words of the Apostle Paul. Verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. See, every single one of Paul's benedictions have the word grace. His final prayer is that grace be showered upon the Christian community. Because Paul knows we're saved by God's grace. It's God's grace that sustains us in life, and it's his grace that will safeguard us until the end of time. And that's our fourth essential here for fighting loneliness. Trust the God who safeguards you until the end of time. Trust the one who safeguards you until the end of time. Like Paul, you can have unwavering confidence in God's power to preserve you. Trust in the one who's infinitely greater than any of your earthly fears. The one who will guard and shelter you under his wing. The ancient of days and the rock of ages who never falters. See, when everything in this world slips through your fingers, God's grip on your eternal future remains certain. You can fully entrust your soul to the faithful creator in life and in death. As Paul so beautifully wrote in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God can be trusted to safeguard us until the end of time. Why? Why can we trust God? Well, because of who he is. Because he is God, right? God can be trusted because he's sovereign, meaning he reigns supreme over all creation and over all human affairs. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing thwarts his purposes. He can be trusted because he's loving. God gave his son to redeem us while we were still in our sin. His heart toward us is that of a, a perfect father who only wants what's best for his children, not only that, but God can be trusted because he's faithful. He keeps every single one of his promises perfectly. What he says he will do, he always accomplishes. His faithfulness is unmatched through every single generation. And God can also be trusted because he's just. He'll right every single wrong in the end. His justice ensures that no evil will triumph over those who take refuge in him. God can be trusted because he's omnipotent. All-powerful as the creator of the universe, he wields unlimited power. Nothing in heaven, nothing on earth can overpower him. Nothing can withstand him. Nothing can slow him down. God could also be trusted because he's eternal. He transcends time. He'll never cease to exist. His eternal nature then guarantees that your eternal salvation and your eternal security. And God can be trusted because he's omnipresent everywhere present at the same time. No matter where we are, no matter where you are, there God is. No distance, no obstacles, no distractions, no enemies can block his care. Do you believe God can be trusted? I wasn't very confident. Church, do you believe God can be trusted? Amen. Then trust that he will rescue you from every evil deed and lead you safely into his heavenly kingdom. Because when present trials weigh you down, be comforted knowing that this world is not our final destination. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, loneliness, pain, grief, rejection, depression, this is not how our story ends. For those in Christ, 
The best is yet to come. Amen? Amen. And until that glorious day arrives, remember, we were not made to walk alone. Find people to stick with you in the hard times. Despite the risks, give others permission to know you fully, messiness and all. And read scripture to sustain you in lonely times. If you've never started before, get a Bible and open up to the Gospel of John. Pastor Dave mentioned that and encouraged that a few weeks ago. 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. Just read a chapter a day. Get plugged into a group. And after that, live in such a way where you're daily, moment by moment, embracing the Savior, the one who will strengthen you in all of your scary times. Abide in his presence. Believe in his promises. Obey his precepts. And trust the God who safeguards you until the end of time. No amount of loneliness, no amount of suffering can defeat us when we walk hand in hand with the one who defeated sin and death forever. Jesus is our Savior for all seasons of life. His resurrection guarantees ours if we have our trust and our faith in him and him alone. He will lead us safely home. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the reminder from your word this morning that we were not made to do life alone. And Lord, you have provided us with um, everything necessary um, to live our lives to the fullest. Lord, you've, by faith in Christ, you've adopted us into your family and and called us into uh, your community. Lord, so enable us to take seriously the fact that in this room are brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, that the blood of Jesus runs through our veins thicker than the blood even of our families. Lord, so enable us to find those people who will stick by us in the hard times. And God, we thank you for your word, for the light and beauty of your word, where you speak to us, where you teach us, Lord, your word that's so useful for all of life, for teaching, rebuking, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And Father, we thank you for our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly going to the cross to bear on yourself the sins of every single person in this world. Lord, we can't fathom how difficult and painful those moments were. But we are so grateful. And we thank you, Lord, that, <laughs> Jesus, you didn't stay dead, but by the power of God, you were raised three days later. And because of your resurrection, we have hope. We have victory. Lord, so help us to live in that assurance. Lord, we look forward to the day when you will come again for us. But until that day comes, Lord, may we be lights of the gospel in the dark world all around us. We love you, Jesus. Lord, we look forward to that day of our homecoming. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. All God's children said, Amen.